The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. Well, good morning and welcome to Tech Talk Cafe. Tech Talk right here, cafe a little later, but Tech Talk right here on High FM. And yes, we are moving quickly into the future. Never mind all the Corona stuff, which we are not going to talk a lot about today because I think we're all seriously over that stuff, even though we still locked down and using our various Wi-Fi's and fibers and you name it in the home to stay in touch with friends, loved ones and whatnot. But it's quite, quite an interesting time. The good news, well, depends on which fringe element you come from, but the good news is Vodacom launched 5G commercially in South Africa this week. And it was a combination of a lot of things coming together. One, they've um, contracted with Liquid Telecom, who have the necessary spectrum to launch 5G and have built a 5G network across South Africa or busy in the process of building such a network. And two, the extra spectrum that uh, Vodacom was able to, able to procure from ICASA for the emergency period of the entire coronavirus lockdown and probably a couple of months, I think till November they've got it, um, has allowed them to open up the 5G network in certain areas. And the, as I said, it is a big step in the, in the chase for the fastest, bestest, uh, network in the country. And Vodacom have always done this. They were the first of 4G. They pipped everyone else, even though uh, at the time, uh, MTN were trialing. In fact, I was testing the, MT, the MTN 4G network before they went commercial. And Vodacom just set up a quick network at uh, Vodaworld in Centurion, in Midrand actually. And off they went. They announced it with a racing car <laughs> and they were the first to market. Well, again, they're first to market with 5G in a similar way, unfortunately. Right now, there are only 20 sites with where 5G is available. Um, where I stay, it's not yet available, though a short walk down the road and 5G pops up on my, my test uh, phone. So it's quite a big deal in that regard. But the whole of Santon, Hyde Park, some parts of Centurion, a little bit more Pretoria North have now got, and certainly around Voter World, have now got the option of commercially picking up 5G. Right now, there are only a number of 5G devices, some uh, a Nokia home router and a uh, Huawei home router and an LG V50 phone. There are some other phones that are not generally available uh, in the country that may or may not pick up the 5G frequencies that are necessary, but all the new phones for the next from now on that come out with, will probably come out with 5G as standard in the higher end. Samsung have also announced that they are going to be launching 5G at much less expensive phones in their mid-range devices going forward. And as we've discussed on, on this program many, many, many times, 5G is simply an evolution. It's quite a big evolution of the current 4G uh, product that's out there. And from those that are worried about 5G bringing coronavirus and doing anything nefarious, 5G essentially is identical from a radio wave point of view to 4G. It operates on a techno technology level 
far more efficiently. So what was possible with the same frequencies, the same power within the 4G environment becomes dramatically better in 5G. And the benefits for you and me and everyone else will be pretty transparent. If your phone is capable, it will automatically connect and you'll have the benefit of a lot of the 5G innovations. But it does go way, way, way beyond that. But right now, kudos to Vodacom to launching it. It's free of charge to anyone who has the necessary equipment for now. Um, all prepaid and postpaid SIMs will automatically provisioned to work with the current 5G network. And it's it's pretty seamless and pretty simple. There's nothing you need to do. There's nothing you need to know other than should you have the necessary 5G phone, it should simply work. And they're promising speeds in the 200 to 300 megabit range, not the sort of gigabits that people were talking about, but still that's significant. But my experience with 5G is that it just makes everything a little snappier. Your network starts to feel more like a, um, a fiber network. It doesn't replace fiber in some cases, and in most cases, even fixed 5G doesn't replace the stability of fiber. But it is a really good, it's early days for the technology, it's early days for the networks, and it's a really good step forward for everybody in the space. And expect the other networks to follow fairly shortly. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors, and we'll be back with more news straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And um, now back to the news of the week. Here's something that I find super interesting, and I'm, for one, extremely pleased. Microsoft sent out a press release. Now, I'm going to qualify it because the press release was rather vague. But what they said was that Microsoft Surface laptops and probably the rest of the Surface range, which includes earbuds, headphones, tablets, computers, will be coming to South Africa. Now, I got all excited and I thought, well, this should happen imminently. Why send out a press release? Um, why send out a press release now? Well, the pre- I carried on reading and guess what I found out? Sometime before the end of the year, mainly because their corporate customers and other customers who use Surface products globally within the context of their businesses were insisting that they have it available in South Africa. Now, I've played with many of the Microsoft Surface laptop products overseas, and I know people who are using them extensively, and they are extremely, extremely good pieces of of kit um, and really an incredibly good laptop. And the benefit of having the laptop all built in. In other words, Microsoft make the laptop, Microsoft make the operating system, and it all gets sold as one package, updates seamlessly across everything, really makes it a brilliant, brilliant um, option for most people. What has stopped me from buying a Surface laptop or playing with any Surface product in this country, they are available through certain third-party distributors, is that there is no official service and support and who wants to have an expensive 20,000 Rand laptop tablet that goes wrong and has to be sent back to the US or Europe for repairs or service? Not going to happen for most people. So very, very pleased that finally Microsoft are going to do it. They're going to set up the entire um, necessary ecosystem to service, support and distribute the product. Don't expect them to be cheap. They are not cheap. 
they are, but they are competitive with, with the Dells and the various Apples and everything else out there. And they were talking about launching the whole range, the Surface Go 2, which is a light portable design at a really good price, the Surface Book 3, which is a uh, MacBook Pro and um, Dell XPS competitor, which are really good, their Surface Headphones 2 and the Earbuds, which been getting pretty good reviews. I haven't tried with them. And obviously the Surface Dock 2 and their, their travel hub. So looking forward to this. Hopefully they bring it a lot sooner than later. This lockdown has probably put a bit of a spoke in their works from that point of view. But it is an incredibly interesting range of, of computing products. And it's about time that South Africa got with the Surface product range. So kudos to Microsoft. I'm looking forward for one, and obviously I'll try my best to get them in my hands and tell you guys about it as soon as is possible. Well, other good news, and this does sort of relate to to what's going on currently in the world, Zoom have updated their product in a huge way. There's a lot of stuff coming through in the next week um, that are going to completely change the way that Zoom works. Now, as a product, I've used Zoom extensively the last couple of weeks as long, uh, along with a ton of other people. And it is extremely effective. It allows hundreds of people, if you want, though I must admit I watched on TV, very unsuccessful and amateurish use of it with our government trying to explain stuff to us. But anyway, um, that's for another story. But it's just a great way to have mass meetings uh, of people, companies, schools, you name it. The problem has been that there's been enormous talk of Zoom bombing. In other words, people somehow getting into your Zoom, putting inappropriate content or leaking sort of confidential stuff onto the web. And even though there is encryption used by Zoom, there were problems with the, the way that the, the system worked and trolls were getting involved and it was just a little bit of a mess. A lot of major companies, including Google, Ericsson, uh, Daimler, that's Mercedes-Benz, prohibited or discouraged the use of Zoom. Well, Zoom have taken extremely, extremely seriously and starting from the 9th of May, even the free users will be required to enter a password to access meetings. That's the first level. Second of all, free accounts will also have what they call the waiting room and host-only screen sharing turned on by default. So you you first got to ask your host to be allowed into the, the meeting. It won't happen automatically. You can't be bombed by somebody just somehow finding your link. The other thing is that the link that you send out won't be the standard link anymore. It'll be a link that you generate uniquely for each meeting, which is good practice in any event. That capability always existed. I never used the standard link that came with your account because that could be somehow leaked by someone on the web. And that's exactly what has been happening. But by having a unique link every single time, it's almost impossible to um, to to get bombed on that level. So update your Zoom instance wherever it is, on your phone, on your tablet, on your computer. Update it to the latest. Keep updating over the next two, three days. And use it with confidence. I think 
good good hygiene in terms of the waiting rooms, keeping that link out of out of the way of of anybody and changing it every time you use it makes a lot of sense. And uh, who knows, Zoom and video conferencing is going to be with us for a long time going forward. Now, before we get to Tech Talk Cafe, where I've got a really interesting talk with Mark Elliott, who's the president of Mastercard South Africa, and they've done some global research and in South Africa with regard to contactless payments and the growth of contactless. And it's a really interesting conversation about where money is going and how we can all benefit from the convenience and the ease of use of contactless. So we'll be back with Tech Talk Cafe straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome to Tech Talk Cafe right here on High FM. And with me on the line, as we always are these days, is Mark Elliott, who's the president of Southern Africa for MasterCard. Now, MasterCard probably belongs to a whole host of you out there. You've got them in your pockets. You use them with your various banks. And as a credit card payment platform provider, MasterCard have done some incredible things. So welcome to the show, Mark. Tell us a little bit about some recent research all about contactless, which is highly topical right now. Well, good afternoon, and uh, thanks for thanks for um, having me on. Um, so I think uh, we've uh, done some analysis recently uh, across uh, 19 countries around the world just to look at um, how customer behavior is changing amidst uh, the pandemic. And what we're really seeing is that there, there has been a change in behavior um, as customers are effectively looking for cleaner ways to pay, more hygienic ways to pay. Um, and so we're seeing a proliferation, I guess, of, of contactless transactions. Um, so in South Africa, um, you know, our numbers are telling us that actually uh, contactless transactions grew at 13 times um, in uh, the first quarter of this year compared to the previous year. Um, and, uh, you know, just uh, what's that reflective of? Well, it's, it's that people aren't necessarily using cash quite as they did before. Um, so I think it's about 20% are, haven't used cash at all since the pandemic uh, began. And then 44% of respondents are saying that um, they, uh, they've reduced their usage of cash. So what that means is that um, I guess the consumer is looking for uh, different types of uh, retail opportunities. Uh, they're looking for retailers who give them that opportunity to pay in this slightly different way, you know, rather than handing your card over to somebody and, and, and being concerned about what that might mean in a, in, in a crisis like this when you, when you take it back um, and having to wipe it down, etc. Um, but also, uh, they are um, looking for um, you know retail which can give them maybe a quicker way to get through uh, the store, um, so that they can actually have a, a more seamless um, and quicker experience. So what that's meaning is um, at a you know at a wallet level, I guess, is that um, customers who've got contactless uh, cards are actually you know saying that's their top of wallet card and a card that maybe isn't contactless isn't necessarily the right tool for a, for a time like this. Mark, uh, yes, uh, on, that, point on that, yes. yeah, on that topic, that's quite an interesting point. What percentage of cards today within the MasterCard environment, certainly in South Africa, are contactless? Are there still a number that aren't? Yeah, I mean, I think the, um, the, the, there's two sides to contactless, right? There's the, there's the card issuance and then there's the contactless terminals. 
Um, and as uh, as a payments uh, company, what we have to do is it's this you know chicken and egg type uh, thing where you have to ready the ecosystem. Um, and then ultimately, what you try and do is you try and drill into um, you know different categories, if you like, where you think you'll get that contactless usage. So I'd say probably you know 50 to 70 percent of um, you know South Africa cars are now contactless. But we anticipate that uh, that will be, you know, much more complete um, in the next six to twelve months, probably up near the uh, the ninety percent mark. And contrast contrast that to the number of of your vendors or your people who accept cards. What percentage of those accept percent uh, contactless cards right now? Yeah, so it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a good proportion, um, you know, especially in the multi lane um, retail type category, grocery, for example. Um, but uh, you know what one could argue though is that maybe that's that's not truly exclusive. So I guess the that leads us on to a slightly different um, acceptance strategy, which is things like QR payments, right? Where you you scan the QR rather than using plastic in the first place. So there are there are different there are different opportunities with different use cases if that makes sense. No, that does. And and are you finding that even obviously the larger retailers, though you say this, Woolworths, for example, didn't accept contactless until somewhat fairly recently, which is quite an interesting uh, concept considering how progressive they are in some other ways. But are you seeing a demand from the various retailers, small and large? For new terminals, for the ability to accept contactless. Absolutely, I think that um, the uh, the uh, when you try the tap to pay experience, um, it's uh, it's something which you enjoy as a customer, um, just because you get that uh, feeling of speed and owning the transaction. Um, so I think it's something which the consumer wants to see um, across different merchant types. So there is a, there's clearly a demand now um, to, to give that opportunity to customers, yeah. And are you seeing that growing, well, growing across other types of devices like ATMs, for example? I mean, there are a lot of, lot of places where you have to handle your plastic, take it out and insert it and do all sorts of things. And there's a lot of benefits of not inserting your card into a various into the various machines. Are you seeing a growth on that side as well? I think I think generally um, there are you know the the younger population are looking at ways in which they can um, transact differently, um, and I think that's the the beauty sometimes of um, you know new 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 generations coming through and, and pushing the agenda in terms of um, innovation and. Being able to live a, a life slightly different um, to uh, some of us, um, so I think yes. I mean, I think that's definitely happening. But you know, we have to cater to everybody, so it's a, it's really about giving choice ultimately to the customer um, and seeing where the adoption comes through. Clearly, from a from an industry perspective, there is that cost of cash, uh, which can run up to about one and a half to two percent of GDP, uh, which is significant in a place like South Africa. So. You know, in terms of the um, the, the broader opportunity uh, to reduce that cost, that's not lost, I don't think, on, on the institution. And a question that a lot of people have asked around the whole contactless thing, it, it is so easy, but what is the security around contactless uh, shopping, especially for larger ticket items? I mean, no one's terribly concerned if they go to the local grocery store and buy 10 rands worth of something, and they tap and they pay and they walk out. But when you're spending larger amounts of money, what is the security around tap and pay? Sure. So um, there's a, um, 
a, an industry uh, limit, which is placed at 500 rand, uh, which is effectively, um, I guess, the, the backstop. But um, different different customers, i.e., different banks, um, can can adopt slightly different um, ways of approaching this. So they can drive the transactions online um, if they want to, um, and so that allows them to have um, a higher degree of security. Um, and, and also, you know, being quite honest with you, um, because obviously this is very important uh, to our business model, um, the fraudsters are not targeting contactless as a vector. Um, That's very interesting. They, they tend to focus on higher, higher ticket items, um, where they can, uh, where they can, um, you know, make a little bit more money. So in, in, in the ordinary course of your grocery shopping, your pharmacy shopping, all the normal day-to-day stuff, contactless now is becoming more and more prevalent, and you're seeing much greater adoption across these various types of, um, you know, providers of, of, of services. It absolutely is. I think the, uh, the, 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 the pandemic, if you like, has just raised the awareness of customers of the opportunity. Um, and so what we're seeing is that um, 88% uh, of, of those surveyed, um, there were 17,000 globally and a good portion of those in South Africa, um, are saying that they, they see that they don't necessarily want to come in physical contact with a, with a touchpad. Um, or, or necessarily handing over the card, as I said earlier. Um, so clearly, it's uh, you know a great opportunity um, from from a pandemic standpoint to move this forward. And who knows? It might be the tipping point in terms of, of broader cash displacement. We are seeing that um, you know most of these transactions are below twenty five dollars, um, which just shows you that these are these are the types of transactions which ordinarily would have been cash. That's very, very interesting because in South Africa, the penetration of credit cards or even debit cards with tap and pay is, is fairly low. Yeah, and I think the, um, the, uh, clearly there's a, there's a lot of penetration of, of card. Um, and I think the, the next step is uh, that we're going to see is that uh, people will store their card credentials on their telephones um, and then uh, leverage our tokenization standards to allow tap to pay via the mobile phone. So that's the evolution, if you like. Um, hence, we do need those contactless terminals to be uh, contactless ready so that they can facilitate that uh, tap to pay. Um, I think that contactless cards provide that stepping stone from a customer habit, if you like, uh, which, uh, which, is, which is quite cool. Well, that was actually my next question. My next question. You, you stole my question from me. But Sorry. sort of getting rid of the plastic ultimately is even... The, the next most convenient thing. What is the adoption from your side in South Africa on the number of, of non-card payments that are coming through, that are coming through phones, watches, various other forms of payment platforms? Sure. So I think it's early day, days. Um, you know, we, uh, we, we've launched a few um, wearables uh, projects with some of the banks. Um, I, uh, you know, I've got a brother in the UK who... Um, by example, um, you know, loves to go out running, and and so having his his Garmin with him on his uh, on his wrist, so that he can buy things along his run, just makes sense for his type of lifestyle. So I think it's a, again, it comes back to um, the core thing of giving customers, um, you know, the opportunity to pay in different ways depending on what type of experience they're looking for. 
Um, so between the phone and the wearables and ultimately the plastics, there are going to be multiple different form factors. Um, and uh, I think it's early days. Uh, but um, it's definitely a, a good area for growth. I can imagine because myself going out for, you know, wandering around or going to gym and, and getting the call, please pop into Woolworths and pay for something and I have no card yeah. and I can use a watch or a Fitbit or something. It is super convenient and, and, and actually very easy. But in South Africa, that has not been something that I've seen a lot of people use. And interestingly enough, even traveling around the world, places like Germany, they're fascinated when you use your watch to pay, which is possible, but it, it's just not generally accepted. Are you seeing this happening globally? Are you seeing a greater acceptance of alternative methods other than, you know, taking out your credit card? No, I think that's the um, – so we, we've talked about the form factors, but uh – you know, what's also um, is critical, which you kind of alluded to there, is in countries like Germany, it's actually, um, as a country, they don't necessarily adopt, uh, haven't adopted in quite the same way to card payments. Um, they, they, they prefer bank-to-bank payments, or, um, or know, which are, uh, which we call EFT, right, mm. or cash. And so we, our strategy, um, which is which is really core uh, today is to also invest in in those companies which could provide that bank-to-bank payment uh, capability. So we bought a company called Vocalink um, a couple of years ago for about 900 million pounds, um, and we've uh, you know we're in completion uh, with uh, Nets up in the Nordics. And ultimately, what that is is that's a that's a multi-rail strategy, so that if you're out with your Garmin. Um, you know, uh, and you get that call to go to Woolies, um, and you're engaging with that contactless point of sale. You can ultimately um, pull that payment, uh, the fund, the funds, the store of value, if you like, could be sitting in um, your card, um, as we talked about already, um, or indeed it actually could be sitting in your bank account. And so Mastercard has has bought those companies so that we can have a truly multi-rail strategy, and that's really what we talk about when we talk about multi-rail is that ability for you as a customer to choose where you want to pull funds through from. Um, and ultimately, you shouldn't really worry about that too much. It should be a, should be a seamless customer experience. That's fascinating because the whole sort of getting rid of cash in the environment is definitely, in many ways, it's safer. In many ways, it, it, it looks to the future. And yet, I think the pandemic may actually have pushed this much faster than it would have worked anyway, in, you know, in any event. Because it is safer not to have cash in your pocket. It is safer to use a contactless or some form of card payment. And are you starting to, to see that? Is MasterCard starting to see a huge global shift towards this type of electronic payment rather than any form of cash? Look, I think um, the stats are, are interesting um, because um, they're, they're around 85% of the world's um, payments are still in cash. So clearly there's a long runway there. Um, and uh, interestingly, it's it's been holding at that uh, level for quite a few years, and that's just purely because there's more cash coming into the world. Um, so it's not as though we're not displacing cash. Um, I think the uh, the trend, if you like, is that increased displacement is happening. Um, but ultimately, we need to focus in on where the where there are you know problem statements to solve for. Um, otherwise, we won't get the adoption. So areas like bill pay right now are terribly topical in the industry. Um, and uh, and that cash displacement is happening. 
Um, I think the, the other challenge though which is uh, really core to MasterCard's strategy is is kind of how we can have a more inclusive way of doing this um, because as we know in South Africa there's a there's a wide informal sector there's a lot of SMEs um, who really need to um, see the benefits of wanting to go electronic because they're not immediately obvious um, you know cash for a lot of them is still king so we have to really kind of make uh, bring it to life and, and it has to it has to have a logic, otherwise um, it won't, it, we won't change behavior. That's brilliant. Well, can you believe our time is up? <laughs> time flies when you're having conversations about money. So, <laughs> thank you so much. But it is truly fascinating to think that we're living in a world where you're scared to give your card to uh, someone to swipe for you. So using contactless is definitely going to grow considerably. And I'm sure you guys at MasterCard are going to come up with ever more smart ways of doing it. So thanks for joining us. Thank you, Steve. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And a fascinating discussion about how things are changing. I mean, it's a subtle thing. It's a small thing. You don't want to give someone your card, let them touch it, put it into a machine. You just tap it and pay and off you go. It's Coming more and more, and I use Samsung Pay quite a bit on my Samsung S20 Ultra, and it it works. It's brilliant. It's convenient. I've used it all over the world, used it in South Africa. Apple, not yet so much. Apple Pay works, but no South African bank still offers it. So contactless and sort of no-card payments are just going to become a bigger feature of how we do everything going forward all the time. But before we go on to my gadget of the week, which this week is the Samsung S20 Ultra. Crazy ultra phone, huge technological um, tour de force is the right word. So we'll talk about that straight after this. I'm sure that you do know and love his music, and now you can catch Hanan Ben-Ari for a personal concert from his home to yours. Catch Hanan Ben-Ari this Friday at 1 p.m., that's this coming Friday, with his pre-Shabbat concert. Follow it on Facebook, and we'll post a link on the High FM Facebook page too. So if you're not following High FM on Facebook, please do so. Find it, like it, and join the conversation. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. So now on to the gadget of the week. And... Buying a new phone probably not top of the agenda right now. A lot of people will make do with what they've got. But for a lot of people, the time has come. They've got an old phone, something that's in the region of two years old, and the time has come for an upgrade. It's time to improve it, come right up to date with the latest technology, or just simply replace an aging phone where the battery's going or whatever. Now, Samsung have been the number one phone manufacturer for a number of years globally, and for good reason. Their Galaxy range has certainly set the standard in the Android space for the most part, and their A-series has offered exceptionally good value in terms of both price, performance, and technology. And Samsung CEO about two years ago said that they're actually going to put a lot more effort into their mid-range in order to bring cutting-edge technology there than simply focus on their their flagship Products, But the Galaxy series, the flagship products which come out in a dual cadence every year, which is the S range in the early part of the year and the Note range towards the end of the year, have definitely 
created an extremely high-end market for Android devices. And despite my opinion, some of the Android elements being a little less user-friendly than the Apple iOS elements, the truth is today that the two systems are essentially interchangeable. You need to pick which one you like, where your 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 technology ecosystem lies within the Apple ecosystem, within the Android ecosystem, or both. I'm fairly comfortable in both in any event. But the S20 range has definitely stepped up the game in a significant way. And it consists of three basic phones, the S20, the S20 Plus, and the S20 Ultra. And the Ultra, I think, is Samsung's way of saying, guys, we know, we know technology, we know mobile, we can do stuff that very, very few companies can do. And what they've done in the Ultra is throw everything technological, including the technological kitchen sink, at a device that is absolutely cutting edge in pretty much every single respect. A couple of two key things stand out more than anything else on this phone. The first thing is the size. It is a 6,9-inch screened phone with zero bezels, essentially. The bezels are the the little thing that runs around the edge. So you've got a 6.9-inch 120 hertz, and I'll get back to the 120 hertz AMOLED screen that stretches from edge to edge with a tiny little central cutout for the front selfie camera. And without any contradiction, this has to be one of the finest screens that I've seen on a mobile device ever. It is Unbelievably crisp. The contrasts are outstanding. The picture quality is superb. The resolution is amazing. And before we get into, you know, more technological elements, it, they touting something called the 120 hertz refresh rate. And what that simply means is that the screen is rewritten or refreshed entirely at 120 times per second. And the benefit of that is, is that when you're scrolling through screens, it is so fast. It is double the speed of, it's between, yeah, it's around about double the speed of the average normal phone out there. And often when you slide from screen to screen on a phone or you open an app, close an app, open an email, close an email, there's slight jaggedness or delay before it it, it changes or, or settles on the screen. Using a high screen refresh rate like that, especially for gaming, we'll get to again to that a little later, but a high refresh screen rate makes everything buttery smooth incredibly smooth. There's no delay, no messing around. It just flows smoothly onto the screen. And no matter how quickly you scroll through a web page, the pictures are render perfectly. It's just amazing. And once you get used to using a screen with such a high refresh rate, it becomes immediately apparent when you switch back to a phone with a normal refresh rate, which is pretty much every other phone on the market right now, how jagged and and jerky the experience actually is. So they've thrown this into the phone. There is one little drawback on that, is that a large 6.9-inch AMOLED with such a high refresh rate tends to eat a lot of battery life. So you can only get the high refresh rate on a slightly lower resolution than the screen is absolutely able to um, to perform at. But I think this, the, the, the compromise of having a slightly lower resolution, high refresh rate, and slightly worse battery life is well worth it. Uh, the battery in this thing is a 5,000 milliamp battery, which is as big as many external power packs. And despite the, the screen size and everything, I easily got through a day 
admittedly, I've not been running around much, uh, but using the camera, doing lots of social media, doing all sorts of things, making a few YouTube videos, you name it, on this device, the battery has given me at least a full day's worth without any any serious hassle. Um, and the other real issue is that the phone is huge. It is absolutely huge. It's not a one-handed phone. They've done a good job at making it manageable, but essentially, unless you've got very big hands, you cannot use this phone um, on its own. The other, well, with one hand, you tend to need two hands. Um, the other massive benefit of this phone is the new camera. The Ultra has all the S20 range have brilliant new cameras which give excellent quality, but the S20 Ultra adds something, a, a, a telephoto camera that goes up to a hundred times zoom, which is insane for a mobile device. A hundred times zoom and it's usable zoom. I've tried it in, in the garden. I've tried it in many, many places and it is incredible the amount of detail you can get. Now it's 10 times optical zoom using a folded camera, uh, mirror lens system. Um, housed in the back of the of the device and um, then you've got another 10 times zoom based on the smart algorithms and the AI system built into the camera uh, and built into the smartphone and it actually works incredibly well. Initially the zooming was very jerky but they've They've sent a software update which fixed pretty much all of that. So you can zoom seamlessly from, from all the way from nothing to a hundred and you get really usable pictures. Obviously camera shake becomes a problem at a hundred, but again, the AI works extremely well. So it is incredibly good um, at long distance pictures. And then the main sensor is a 108 megapixel sensor, which is unheard of in a mobile device. And it uses an innovative system called pixel binning. Now that's a technology term which you may, may or may not even care about knowing, but essentially what they do is because there are so many pixels crammed into the sensor that is built into this device, they can combine pixels to give you unbelievably good resolution, both in low light and in all sorts of challenging situations. And my experience with the S20 camera is that it's as good as, if not better than anything else that I've tried out there on all the mobile devices that I've played with from Huawei, Apple, you name it. This camera is a revelation. It's resolutions amazing. It's zoom ability is incredible. The 108 megapixel sensor allows low light pictures that are Pretty ridiculous. Often you can't even see with a naked eye what's going on in a room. You use the Samsung S20 Ultra and off you go. You can see pictures that are pretty incredible. The build quality is outstanding. It's as good as anything that you can imagine. It's solid. It's well built, but you need a case. It's glass front and back. Do not drop this device anywhere because it won't take that too well. But it is as good as any device that I've used. The battery life is outstanding. And um, we have to take a quick break uh, for for our sponsors right about now. But I'll be back just to wrap up my review of the S20 Ultra. It has a couple of caveats which I think you should be aware of. But essentially, this is a serious device from Samsung. And we'll be back with our, my wrap up on that straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. 
really getting out there. All these emergency services need to get done. So quick wrap-up of the Samsung S20 Ultra. It is a big phone. It is a heavy phone. It has a huge camera bump on the back, which is not particularly aesthetically pleasing, though it works well in a case, and it cannot be used single-handedly. The other Little drawback is the price. Anywhere from 25,000 Rand upwards for a mobile device is not exactly pocket change and certainly sets the tone. But if you're looking for the best that Android can offer, it runs with the latest version of Android 10, the Samsung UI one overlay version two, which they've got on there is pretty fluid, pretty easy. They duplicate apps all the time, but that's a Samsung thing. But mostly if you're looking for a solid top-of-the-range uh, upgrade. There's absolutely nothing to touch the S20 Ultra for now on the market. It is certainly going to offer years of really excellent service, and the camera is something amazing. The screen is brilliant. The battery life is good. It is so fast that in many cases doing video was easier than doing it on a MacBook Pro. So really thoroughly impressed within the context of of the Android ecosystem. It is an excellent, excellent device. Samsung do a great job with Samsung Pay, all the smart things, um, integration. So as part of the whole Samsung ecosystem, this is a significant step forward for most people. Uh, is it better than last year's S10 range? Most definitely. Camera, screen, battery life, speed, it's just an incredibly good phone. So if you're in the market and it's upgrade time, now's the time to do it. Now, my app of the week, I'm following a musical theme. Uh, it's really important. Last week we talked about another music system, but this week my app of the week is Spotify. Now, Spotify were the first, one of the biggest, and they certainly are one of the best music streaming services out there. And a lot of people have been using it. For many, many years, I remember trying to, or not trying, in fact, buying cards from the U.S. I could use Spotify without uh, it being available officially in South Africa. And it has been here for a few years. But something that has been missing and that has given a lot of its competitors a foot up is there was no premium family plan available from Spotify. And they've just announced this week that you can sign up for a 100 Rand per month uh, subscription, which gives you six People, uh, a six people family premium plan and each one is entirely independent. So you can have your favorites. You can have uh, your, your kids, your wife, whoever can have all their own favorites and six people can do it. But it has a couple of interesting things. You can get a family mix based on everybody's musical taste. There are parental controls, so you can restrict certain elements on or music for younger children. And there's also a family hub where there's a single portal for billing and you can manage your members and you can do everything that you need to do. So if you're keen on a new service and you want a little bit more curation than, let's say, Apple Music offers, uh, I think Spotify is just a great, great, great option. And on that note, I've been told it's time to go, time to relinquish the airways with all this technology talk. We'll be back next week, same place, same time, right here on High FM. This is Stephen Ambrose for Tech Talk.